Good evening, everybody, or good morning or good afternoon, depending on the time zone you're listening from. This is the Sheridan Show presented by BasketballNews.com. I'm Chris Sheridan, your host, and I'm pleased to be joined by a guy I've worked alongside for uh, more decades than I choose to recall. It's Mark Berman from the New York Post. Mark has been covering the New York Knicks um, longer than anybody in New York City. He's the the gospel when it comes to uh, knowing everything there is to know about uh, past, present, and even sometimes the future of the New York Knicks. And we're going to touch on all three of those today. Mark, thanks for joining me. And let's get started right away. You're uh, coming to us from Madison Square Garden as the Knicks get ready to conclude their regular season uh, Saturday afternoon against the Charlotte Hornets. Um, just how surprised are you, Mark, by the team's success? They they have a chance of finishing with the fourth best record in the Eastern Conference. I think I was on uh, one of your shows, uh, you know, well before the season when Las Vegas came out with the over-under of 21 and a half. I think I picked the over, and I think you were in agreement. But in the paper, I picked 30 wins. So, you know, it's, they're going to be have 40. Uh, it's really remarkable what's happened, and it shows that coaching really does matter. It's a player's league, but when you get a great coach who really has guided the Knicks through this pandemic, like marvelous, you know, it was just an amazing job by Thibodeau to figure out how to get the best out of these guys during the pandemic. He didn't over-practice them. He's played them many minutes. Their top players, obviously, RJ and Randall, uh, second and third in the league in minutes. So he's played them a tremendous amount of time, but he's eased back on practices. He's done a masterful job. I mean, it's been seven straight seasons of being a laughing stock. And now, you know, they have gained respect across the entire league. They really have been, they've outperformed pretty much every team in the NBA. Um, but but let's look ahead and and say are they are they going to be satisfied with what they did in the regular season or are the Knicks going to be uh, a team sort of like Miami was last year a team that advances farther than people thought I don't know that they're going to necessarily make it to the NBA Finals but uh, in this day and age especially where we live Mark nothing would surprise me anymore so where do you see as the ceiling for the Knicks uh, here in the 2020-21 season Yeah I mean. It- it's really where they finish. Uh, if they're the sixth seed and have to face Milwaukee, I don't think they're getting by the Bucks. Though I think they could take them to six to seven games. That's how good their defense is. That's how resilient they've been. Uh, Miami has been a tough uh, opponent for them this season also. So if they play Miami in the first round, that's not going to be a breeze. They're 0-3 against uh, Miami and Jimmy Butler is healthy and the heat, who knows, they could get hot and do what they did last uh, season. But you're right, Miami excelled in the bubble. The Knicks are excelling in these pandemic conditions. There's no distractions in New York uh, this season. You know, you say that it's tough to play for the Knicks because of all the distractions. There's no distractions this year. These guys can't do player appearances. They can't go out at night. On the road, they're stuck in the hotel. It's a perfect environment for Tom Thibodeau. Getting out of the first round is going to be tough. Unless they play Atlanta, I think they take out Atlanta. Yeah, I I don't disagree with any of what you said there, Mark. Um, But when you look at the Knicks, especially with their points per game allowed, they're number one in the NBA, allowing less than 105 per game. Is that all Tibbs or is 
I mean, how do you lead the NBA in defense um, because of your coach? Uh, explain that to our listeners. You know, when the players talk about Thibodeau, you get the sense that they've never had a coach who was able to teach them defense or defense the way that Thibodeau likes to play it. It's almost like he's been telling them things that they've never heard before. I'm sure Fisdale wasn't telling Julius Randle all the little ins and outs about switching and rim protection and intensity. He, he has everyone on this roster playing their butts off on the defensive end. They're flying at uh, shooters. They're contesting everything. I mean, just the other night against San Antonio, they looked dead in the water, and they were tired. They were coming home from the West Coast. They had flown Wednesday back from L.A., uh, you know, and had to play the Spurs on Thursday, and they looked sluggish. But they got down 17 points, and all of a sudden, you saw that energy level on the defensive end just ramp up, and also on the offensive end, they started pushing the pace. They played ferocious. And I just don't see another coach I've covered, maybe since, I mean, Woodson was an excellent coach, maybe since Van Gundy even, where they played with such a high intensity level for the remainder of that game, and they took out the Spurs. And I honestly, I was writing my story, you know, the Knicks basically are stuck in the sixth seed, you know, they, they're lost to the Spurs, they, they were lethargic, and I had to rewrite the whole darn thing. Because they came roaring back, and they've done it so many times this season, continue to amaze me. Mark, let's get back to uh, uh, a guy you mentioned who's having a terrific year, and that's Julius Randle. Most people think he's going to win Most Improved Player Award, and I don't necessarily disagree with that, although he was a pretty good player already with the Lakers and the Pelicans. But what about Julius Randle in the MVP discussion, Mark? I, I wrote a column yesterday where I put him second behind Nikola Jokic. And I don't think a lot of people are going to have him number two in the MVP race, but I think given the Knicks' success and where expectations were, he's more than worthy of number two. Either It was either going to be him or Chris Paul because Phoenix has sort of done the same thing in the West. And clearly Nikola Jokic is going to win this, but where do you think Julius Randle finishes in the MVP voting? Uh, two is a little high for me, but three or four. I mean, Paul, I would put two. Uh, without a doubt, if someone puts them below four, I feel they don't understand the grasp of what's happened here in New York this season. This team has, again, been a laughingstock for seven straight seasons, and Julius Randle is the leader. Even though he doesn't have the captaincy title, he has led this group. He also is the ball sharer, that an infectious unselfishness that he couldn't, he didn't show last season. He would be doubled and tripled last season, and he tried to force up some shots or commit a turnover. This time, he's spraying the ball around, and it's infectious. This is the one reason I love covering this team is how they move the ball and get open shots because of Randall's, uh, you know, distrib- distribution. So the numbers are terrific. He's a triple double threat every night. Almost had a triple double the other night, and we barely, you know, acknowledged it. He was twenty-five, nine, and nine. Uh, Carmelo Anthony had zero triple doubles as a Nick. He had one in his career. Uh, that two thousand twelve thirteen team. I mean, they were 
they were great and they won 54 games, but it was all about Carmelo. And unfortunately, they died in the second round because Carmelo just could not do it on his own. This is a team, and it's a team because Julius Randle is the leader, and they follow follow him, and they go to night practices when they land on the road. MVP candidate, put him at number three. It's been a joy to watch him play and joy to see his renaissance. Uh, to your point, Mark, yes, Julius Randle averaging 5.9 assists, which is even more than Derrick Rose. And, you know, Derrick was a terrific midseason uh, or early season acquisition from Detroit, but he's been coming off the bench in almost every game. You think that continues in the playoffs, Mark, or do you see Derrick Rose in the starting five instead of um, Alfred Payton? Listen, Thibodeau has asked uh, frequently about that situation. Derrick is playing starters minutes. Right now, it's Payton has regressed so horribly that he's playing the first seven minutes of the game and the first seven minutes of the second half, and then you don't see him again. Do you put Derek in the starting lineup? Thibodeau doesn't want to shake it up like this because it's been successful. So if Payton is going well, he can extend him. If he's not, he brings in Rose, and Rose plays the rest of the second half and closes. So he doesn't want to completely shatter Alfred's confidence. As long as Derek is playing 30 minutes, and in L.A. he played 39. It was an overtime game, but he played 39 minutes and did not play against San Antonio. He had to take a rest day. So Thibodeau also has to make sure he doesn't overdo it with Derek Rose, who has had multiple knee surgeries, and he's 32 years old. So the theory is don't fix what's not broken. Thibodeau is such a smart coach. He sees when Alfred is struggling, and he limits him when that happens. But they really need Alfred to play better if they're going to take out a team like Milwaukee because they can't afford 14 shoddy minutes at the point guard position. And to a point, if Alec Burks continues what he did the other night, Alec could handle the ball, and we may see Alfred start the game and maybe not even start the second half if he, if he didn't have a good uh, first quarter. Let's turn our attention to uh, to R.J. Barrett, who's uh, become a, almost a 40% three-point shooter. Um, he's not as good of a three-point shooter as Julius Randle has been, but as you mentioned earlier, he's playing a ton of minutes. And if you throw out the Laker game where he was 0 for 7, he's having a pretty terrific month shooting the three-point shot. Um, and his, his, his free throws have gotten better as well. Is that a product of just hard work? Is that a product of coaching, maturity? What do you attribute that to, Mark? I mean, as a rookie, a 19-year-old rookie, it was almost alarming that the number three pick in the draft could shoot so poorly from the free throw line and from the three-point line. Everything he put up, you thought he'd break the backboard uh, last season. Just a remarkable reversal. Those corner threes are money. I like his uh, form, catch and shoot. He's almost money now uh, from the corner on the three-point shot. It's huge, opens up everything. He's still a terrific driver. That's what he did at Duke. He's not super athletic, but he gets to the basket because he's so crafty and he's got just a lot of agility. Uh, and he's playing good defense. He rebounds. He's durable. I mean... I didn't with Julius. I should have mentioned, you know, he's missed one game 
and durability is huge with Julius. R.J. Barrett hasn't missed a single game. He's played every single game, uh, 20 years old. He only missed a few games last season when he had a sprained ankle. He was pretty durable last year, too. This guy is going to be an all-star in two years. Uh, it's bottom line. The guy works too hard on his craft, and that's why they drafted him. Scott Perry had a chance to move back from three. Atlanta was going to give him two first-round picks, seven and nine. Scott Perry said, I, I got to take this kid. He's, his mental makeup is too strong. He's going to turn himself into, if not an all-star, close to it. Thank you, Coach Krzyzewski. Oh, I'm sorry, Mark Berman. <laughs> well, Mike Krzyzewski raved about R.J. Barrett as well, and anybody with the Canadian Basketball Federation will tell you the same thing. Um, Team Canada is going to have to try to qualify for the Olympics this summer, and R.J. Uh, will be a big part of that. He might be their primary scorer with Jamal Murray down now. Uh, but we're getting way ahead of ourselves. Let's get back to the NBA playoffs. Mark, um, who do you – you said that you you felt that the Atlanta Hawks were the best first round matchup for the for the Knicks, and so let's, for argument's sake, let's say the Knicks get that and are, are into the second round. Is there any way that the New York Knicks can advance to the Eastern Conference Finals against the likes of the Sixers or the Nets or the Miami Heat, um, or even if we get a surprise team from the bottom of the rankings? The Wizards are not playing all that all that poorly lately, and. Russell Westbrook has broken Oscar Robertson's career triple-double record. But is it like a realistic thing for Knicks fans to say, hey, you know what, we can really make it to the Eastern Conference Finals and then roll the dice against whoever survives? I think in a pandemic season, anything is possible. Honestly, it's just like Miami going to the finals in the bubble. This is still a bubble situation. Uh, if the Nets aren't – if they lose one of the big three and who very – possible that one of those three guys gets hurt they could beat the nets they haven't fared well against them this season but they played them close they've played philadelphia close haven't uh had great success against philly either uh atlanta i said is their best matchup because atlanta has no playoff experience either uh trey young is going to be difficult but it is his his debut in the playoffs uh, I, I wouldn't count anything out. Not, I mean, this is a team that has really shocked the NBA. And their three-point shooting, we thought, would be miserable this season. And they're top five in the league. One of the keys when you talk to scouts is they need Reggie Bullock to really contribute every night. He's had a couple of bad games these past two outings. They need him to be consistent from three-point range, and he's still a terrific defender, but he's got to hit that three. Uh, if Reggie is hitting the three and Rose is is playing like on an all-star level and Randall in his first playoff berth continues to play like a monster, this is going to be a tough out against anyone. There's no, They won't have home court advantage in the second round, but again, the arenas are not totally full. They're going to be a third full. So it's not the same. I was in Phoenix. That was the biggest home court advantage I've seen this season. 8,000 fans, and they were deafening. We could talk about the garden being loud, but it's 2,000 fans. We don't know what real loud. We forgot what loud is. And in Phoenix, it was loud. I'm sure in the playoffs, it will get loud. The Knicks are going to have 5,700. 
And I think that's going to help them too. Yeah, they're going to double up next week as the pandemic rules get get loosened in New York. It seeks 19,762. And one of those seats always belonged to Marv Albert. Um, and Andrew Marchand, your colleague from the Post, broke the news today that Marv Albert is, uh, is going to retire. And Marv has been the voice of the Knicks since the two of us were kids in the 1970s. Uh, what's what's your take on the reason uh, behind Marv's retirement, Mark? Oh, just an incredible career. He's done it for so long. I don't think he particularly enjoyed uh, doing the games off a of monitor this season. I think it was kind of rough for him, but it, he's just been amazing. And listen, I tweeted it before. Listening to Marv Albert call the 1970s Knicks on the radio was one of the greatest things in sports broadcasting history. He made that game sting. It was the most exciting two hours or two and a half hours of in sports. Marv Albert was a legend. It's one of the reasons why I became a big Knicks fan and a big sports fan. Uh, I mean, and his son now works for MSG uh, as a backup main and continue the legacy. Unfortunately, Marv was a little too candid for Knicks ownership, and that's why he wasn't doing MSG Network, uh, you know, in the past several years. But what a career, what a legend, the greatest ever basketball voice, in my opinion, and I know I'm biased, but that's how I really feel. I, I don't disagree with you as much of an Iron Eagle fan as I am. I grew up on Marv as well. And um, I, I sort of agree with you that like everybody in this business is an adrenaline junkie and you're fortunate that you get to be at the games uh, more than I'm at the games, but I don't, I don't necessarily like, like going to an empty arena and hearing canned crowd noise, which is what's been going on uh, in New York for, for most of the season. But uh, Mark, you did go with the Knicks on their five game Western conference road trip what was it like being in the Staples Center uh, with no fans? Yeah, well, I mean, it was probably close to 3,000, but I'll be honest, Los Angeles has the strictest COVID-19 protocols in the country right now. There were fans coming up to me who were upset that they would buy $20 worth of food at the concession stands, and they got to their seat, and they're not allowed to eat it at their seat. I wasn't allowed to drink a bottle of water at my press seat. In fact, I was threatened. <laughs> they said, if you drink another sip, you're, you're going to be thrown out. So I had to hide the water so I didn't instinctively drink it. But, yeah, it was, there were a lot of Knicks fans for both the Clippers and the Lakers uh, games. In fact, the Clippers, even though there were more Clippers fans than Knicks fans, after a Knicks basket, it was definitely as loud. Uh, the Knicks fans have been amazing. Uh, coming out on the road uh, to see their team. You know, they're transplanted New Yorkers and love their team. But, yeah, it's a very strict environment in Los Angeles everywhere. My favorite coffee shop in Venice Beach, the Cow's Inn, you can't even sit inside and drink coffee. I have a sidewalk, seating. Uh, it was a fun road trip to see the country and how each city is so different with COVID. Again, Phoenix more than 8,000 fans. It was like back to normal. Uh, Arizona is like a, two months ahead of everybody else. And Los Angeles is two months behind everyone else. And New York is sort of stuck in March of 2020. Um, but it, 
Mark, you're down, you're in Manhattan uh, as we speak on the Saturday afternoon, May 15th. Um, you see New York coming back. You see a discernible change over the last couple of months, more people on the streets, more people on the trains and subways. A little more on this on the train. The Long Island Railroad is getting a little more crowded, but obviously nothing like it used to be. The weirdest thing for me is covering a game at the garden and then going home. Say it's a Friday night. And even tonight I'll probably feel it. But a Friday night or Saturday night after a game, an empty Long Island Railroad on the way home. Pre-pandemic, if you're from Long Island, you know those Friday night, Saturday night trains back to the island are packed with a lot of intoxicated intoxicated fans and revelers so uh and listen around the garden you start to see more Knicks jerseys and fans walking around for sure but earlier in the season before they started allowing fans pre-february 23rd it was a little depressing i mean there's a lot of homeless around the garden now uh there's no tourists uh and no Knicks fans, you know, during that time. And it, it was just very surreal, almost as surreal as covering the U.S. Open tennis uh, at Arthur Ashe Stadium, completely empty. Uh, but now in a week or so, you know, they're lifting it to 5,700. I think it's going to feel not normal, but getting getting there. Yeah, it's a it's a slow haul. Uh, he's Mark Berman from the New York Post. He's been covering the New York Knicks for longer than I can remember, and I'm an old man, so a long time. You can follow him on Twitter. He's at nypost long slash Berman. Um, and uh, Mark, you do a terrific job. Uh, I don't know why I pay for the Athletic because I get the best coverage in my driveway every morning when the red bag with the Post uh, shows. You read John Hollinger. Well, the you know the, I, I can I can reach John Hollinger on the phone. He does a terrific writer though, but and um, he really does does great stuff. Mark, I want to thank you for joining me on again. I'm Chris Sheridan. You can follow me on Twitter at Sheridan Hoops, and I work for BasketballNews.com. It's the newest and best basketball uh, website. Uh, give us a look and check us out. Uh, we got all sorts of talent here. Uh, the best show we got going right now. Uh, is is Rex Chapman uh, bringing on a, a bunch of guys, a bunch of former players, and lately they've been talking a lot about Kobe. Kobe is getting in, going into the Basketball Hall of Fame tonight. Uh, that's going to be something to watch from from Uncasville uh, and to hear the tributes. I think Michael Jordan has given his acceptance speech. Watching uh, his his uh, widow and a daughter um, at the podium last night was very very moving. Um, the Lakers. Man, that 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 franchise's legacy is is so much about Kobe now, so much different than um, that it was when we were growing up. But Berman, you know, the Knicks legacy is not really Clyde Frazier anymore. It's you, and uh, <laughs> <laughs> but I will say Kobe still owns that town, big in Los Angeles, and I made a a, a note of it. I mean, it's just Kobe shirts and Kobe posters. Kobe everything all over the place and you can't find a LeBron James shirt. I mean, it, it's really remarkable and deservedly so. Deservedly so. Well, we'll see what, what happens to Mr. James and, uh, and Mr. Davis as the playoffs come along. The Lakers remain the second choice in the NBA uh, amongst odds makers to win the title despite they may have to go through a playing game uh, to, to get there. But when you've been to nine of the last ten NBA finals as LeBron has, people sort of 
you know, take it as a, uh, as a given that uh, you're going back. Um, I don't see it this year coming out of the West. They've, that team has not been together enough. Um, and, and they're a little bit, you know, too reliant on, uh, on LeBron and Anthony Davis to have a, a, some sort of a chemistry that they haven't developed over the course of this season. I don't know. We'll see if we're, if I'm wrong. Um, there's a long way to go before the NBA finals conclude in late July. So, um, it's only early spring right now, and uh, there's still two months of playoff basketball ahead of us. We'll see how long the New York Knicks are a part of it, but it's not going to surprise me whatsoever if the Knicks make it into the second round. Beyond that, I would be I would, I, I can use the word shocked. Uh, but right now, I expect them to come out of the first round or at least go to a game seven in the first round against a quality opponent. Regarding the Lakers, uh, I think Schroeder, Caruso, the point guard situation, I think that's going to be a big key. Uh, regarding how far the Lakers go. Well, let's not forget how much they got out of Rajon Rondo last year, uh, especially exactly. during the final the final game, game five against Miami. Rondo won that championship for them. So uh, we haven't seen the last of him yet either. He started for the Clippers last night and had a season high in assists. Um, and the Clippers went with their guys you never heard of played for the Clippers last night. But there's been a lot of that. There's about 550 players have played in the NBA this this season. And like you said, Mark, it's a pandemic season and nothing should really surprise us anymore. So with that, I want to thank you for uh, coming on to my show. And I want to thank you for providing such great Nick coverage over the years. Like I said, I get it in my driveway every morning and I learn everything I need to know about the Knicks, but from reading Mark Berman. And I encourage all of you to do the same. Thanks so much, Chris. I really appreciate the kind words and you're doing a great show here. Thanks, Mark. I appreciate it. And I want to give a shout out to my producer, Brian Fritz. And again, uh, check out basketballnews.com. Uh, we're going to be around a long time and we're going to be um, putting the big boys uh, to shame, uh, if, if I may be so brash as to say so, with the squad of talent that we got uh, under managing editor Alex Kennedy. So with that, we're going to go over and out and I'll be back at you in the playoffs to talk about games that matter a heck of a lot more than the uh, game 71 of a 70 or 72 of a 72 game pandemic season. And with that, again, over and out.